Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today on Mom Brain, we have our very first father daughter combo. Uh, that is right. We're talking to wellness icon Deepak Chopra and his daughter, Malika Chopra. You've likely seen Dr. Deepak Chopra during one of his many visits to the Oprah show or read one of his best selling books. He began his career as a physician and as an alternative medicine advocate, believing strongly in the power of the mind body connection to achieve peak health and wellness. And his daughter, Malika, is a mom. She's an entrepreneur, she's an author and a speaker. She has tons of great advice for how to get our kids to feel more mindful and present and calm and soothed um, and creative. And her books focus on meditation, inspiration, and living life to its fullest. On today's episode, we're going to talk to them about the power of meditation and some thoughts on how we as moms and even our kids can find tools to help support our minds and bodies through difficult times and through the everyday. Yes, especially during these times navigating isolation and quarantine life. It's it's a challenge. So I'm really excited about this. Here's our conversation with Deepak and Malika Chopra. Mom brain. Hi, I'm Malika Chopra and I am a mom, uh, author and public speaker. I'm Deepak Chopra and I'm trying to figure out what I'll be when I grow up. <laughs> Excellent. And then where can we follow both of you? I'm on all platforms at malikachopra.com. I think uh, that's good for me at deepakchopra.com. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. This is actually our first ever father-daughter appearance on the podcast, which is very exciting. What are the conversations you're having around your family table or family Zooms or however it is that you're able to be together right now? How are you making sense for your family and and um, for your children, for your grandchildren, uh, of of the current climate, both COVID and and the protests and um, and the conversation around racism that's happening right now, the two hugely catastrophic events um, and and really thought provoking events that we are all contending with right now. I'm so curious how people around the country are talking about it to one another, and especially at family tables where I think the conversation has an opportunity to really be fleshed out and like made robust in a way that sometimes on social media, which has to be very snappy, it can't always be. My daughters are much older now. They're 18 and 15. So I feel very strongly that um, any conversation has to be age appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so you need to know um, and be very aware of each of your individual children's nature um, and how uh, they carry information. So even, for example, my 18 and 15-year-olds are very different um, in terms of how they react to situations. Um, one is very emotional and talks um, and cries and expresses herself, and the other one goes into a shell um, and plays video games. Um, and so that's even as older kids. So I think as parents, we need to be very aware um, and know our children and know what's appropriate. 
Uh, that said, our family um, has always uh, discussed things openly, honestly, um, creating a context for safety at home, just like when we talk about attachment parenting when they're born, um, making our kids feel seen and heard and safe. Um, and so one of the things I recommend for people with young kids um, is using mindfulness techniques to make them feel grounded and safe. But then when they're older, to honestly have these conversations. My daughter is 18 years old, and my dad doesn't know this. He's going to find this out right now. But <laughs> she just headed to one of the protests in downtown LA. And I realized that um, she's 18. I, I feel a little bit unsafe about her going uh, in this context. But at this stage, hopefully, um, you know, we've uh, given her the tools um, to know what she believes, um, to feel safe, to reach out. Uh, and so that's something that also hopefully we get to a stage where we give them the freedom uh, to express themselves. Um, and then my younger one, who's 15, and I, I don't feel is, you know, in the places yet to manage that, she's uh, so eager to participate, to use her voice. And so we're finding the age-appropriate, safe ways to do that. So um, it's a very tough time. And it's a tough time. Uh, kids left school. Um, they had no closure. Um, for my elder one, having a virtual graduation and no closure, right. um, uncertainty. So we're all dealing with all of that. You have a new book out. It's called Just Feel. Uh, with your book and with both of your philosophies, how can you make sure that we're having open conversations with our children? And how can we teach them how to feel? not just think, but how to really feel and trust their feeling. I think it's one, um, knowing our own feelings and knowing our own reactions to things because we lead by example. Um, so all of the techniques that I talk about, um, I talk about because my parents taught me and my brother, but more importantly, my parents lived them. And so in turn, um, that's what I've done as well. Uh, and then it really is knowing your uh, individual kids. So my younger one, who is more introverted and more into gaming and things like that. Um, actually, what's fascinating is in the last two months, um, me, my nephew, um, my sister-in-law, we've all actually joined her games. Um, and so finding that um, joining her platforms rather than making her do what we want mm -hmm. um, has helped for all of us to communicate better. It's so true. They learn from what they see you do on a repeated basis and what you make time for and how you speak about yourself and how you speak about others. And it it strikes me that um, your family, I feel like, has has always been this very calming presence for, for people who know you far and from afar and up close and who, and who, you know, love and respect you. And I'm, I feel like you were one of the earliest ones to be talking about the power of meditation and the power of taking that moment of quiet or, or prayer. And there's so many ways of talking about meditation, um, as not just a place to, to settle, but also a place to energize, which I think is a really interesting sort of dichotomy of energy. And, and and the calming experience of meditation and the and the also extremely energizing experience of it and i'd love um if you would talk about how you learned to meditate and i think um a how you learn to do it and how you make time for it regularly and b some some of the ways that you think something like a practice of meditation could be useful in a time like this so it's you know it's a it's a loaded question but i'd love if you'd if you you both still seem so calm and wonderfully collected so share with us whatever the magic pill is there are lots of ways to look at this 
since Ilaria is pregnant, I think I can start right there because Malika had a traumatic episode when she was pregnant. It was called 9-11 and uh, she can talk about that uh, later. But this is what we know from a scientific perspective. Somewhere after three months of pregnancy, how, how, how far are you? I'm six months. So at this moment, your baby in utero is listening to this conversation, even without maybe understanding it. And this conversation, the tone of this conversation is actually influencing the baby's genetic activity and neural activity right this moment. Uh, if you were listening to music or reading poetry or dancing or laughing or watching Candid Camera or um, maybe even your father's show um, and it was funny <laughs> authentically, then the baby would be having a good time. And uh, the genes that regulate uh, homeostasis or self-regulation would be activated. On the other hand, if you're listening to a siren right now, an ambulance alarm or gunshot wounds or anything that we're watching on the news right now, the baby's genes would be activated in the direction of inflammation and distress. And when the baby is born, even without knowing why, if the baby would hear that sound, the sound of the ambulance or the sound of the siren or the sound of the gunshot, it would go into anxiety, it would go into uh, fear, it would go into, and the body would respond with inflammation and a compromised immune system. So the best thing you can do for your baby right now is celebrate existence in every way you can, through humor, through joy, through dance, through music, through storytelling. Even right now, you could start singing nursery rhymes to your baby, and he or she would be influenced. That's number one. Now, after the baby is born, for the first five years, uh, please don't try to uh, say or lecture or give advice to your baby or even make your baby a child mindful um, because the baby doesn't listen to that. All the baby watches are the following things. Your eye movements, are you truthful or not? Are you comfortable or not? Your facial expressions, are you happy or not? The tone of your voice, your body language and your gestures, that's it. It's called mirroring of neurons. So if you are stressed and if you are unhappy, or you are fearful, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter how much you meditate or do yoga, deep breathing, the baby is going to be fearful, period. All the baby needs up to five years is attention, which means deep listening, affection, which means deep caring, appreciation, which means deep noticing of the baby's strengths, qualities, and beautiful natures, and acceptance. Do not try to change that character because it's unique. So after five years, you can tell your child, okay, let's shut up for five minutes today. And when <laughs> she's six, let's shut up for six minutes today. Malika <laughs> learned to meditate when she was nine without any pressure at all. Okay. And her brother also, my younger brother, learned around when he was about seven or so. No pressure. Okay. It happens by itself because your children are yourself in disguise. That's all they are. They're just wearing a different uniform. We call it a different body. That's all. But they're mirrors of who you are. 
So just remember that. That's the most important thing. What I'd add is, um, you know, he mentioned uh, 9-11. So I was five months pregnant on 9-11. And um, we thought that my brother was on one of the planes. And so it took us a few hours uh, to find him. uh, And uh, after he had made it an emergency landing. And um, so a few hours after we found him, I ended up fainting, ending up in the hospital. But that was such a transformational time for me because I was about 30 years old. And even though I had grown up uh, in this wonderful family with all these wonderful lessons, you know, it wasn't really my journey, what my dad did. But in becoming a mother for the first time in that context, I really turned to uh, the practices I had learned growing up, but also uh, this concept of intention and thinking about who I wanted to be as a mother, how I wanted to serve my children, my family, my community. Um, And, you know, it's almost like all of the excitement and joy and magic of becoming a mother actually became uh, fear and anxiety for a while. And it was a really conscious decision uh, to focus on service and love um, for our family. So I will also just stress, because your original question was on uh, meditation. And I think what my dad uh, said so eloquently is that we were never forced to meditate ever. Um, Rather, we were given uh, a tool um, and many tools that we could use in our lives. But my brother and I wanted to meditate because we saw my parents meditating and that made them happier and more present and more joyful. Uh, And so, and they never forced us. If we didn't do it, it wasn't a big deal. Um, It was really, they had their own practice. Can I put this in a broader context, the racism, the yeah, please, please. since we're on the topic? I think what is going on in the world is grief. And as a physician, uh, and I'm sure any physician will tell you this, we see grief all the time. I used to work in an emergency room. And, um, you know, sometimes I'd see a patient going through the entire process in one hour in an emergency room with a fatal heart attack. So as soon as the patient knew that they were going to die, and there comes a point when they know that they're going to die, everybody, they would first uh, experience I saw when I saw these patients was they felt victimized. Their first notion was, why me? Well, right now, it's not just why me, it's all of us, we're in the same existential crisis. But then the second thing that happened with patients were they would get angry. They would get very hostile. Um, and we're seeing that right now. also anger and hostility is coming out because we're grieving. And what we're grieving is a way of living, really. Uh, it's being threatened. So the second stage will always be hostility, anger. And then the third stage would be frustration. And, uh, and then people would feel helpless and then they would actually resign in their helplessness to the imminence of death. And then only one or two times would I see something different, which was suddenly there was acceptance. There was not resignation, but there was acceptance. And as soon as there was acceptance, there was also peace. This happens in one hour, by the way, when people are confronting the imminence of their death. In one hour, they go through all these stages. Most even don't get to acceptance. They get to frustration, resignation, helplessness, and they die in panic. Honestly, they die in panic. Those who accept suddenly feel peaceful. 
And there are a very few who even in this moment find meaning. They find meaning. That's what we're going through right now. We are in a stage of grief where we haven't yet even found acceptance. Once we find acceptance, because we can't do anything about what's happening in this second, there are lots of things to do. Take action regarding racism, regarding mental hygiene, regarding social distancing, all of that. We have to do that anyway, okay? But what we have not done yet as a species is find acceptance or meaning. So now, going back to the story that I was going to share with you, I was six years of age when I was living with my grandparents in Mumbai. My little brother was hardly four years of age. Little brother went on to become the dean for medical education at Harvard Medical School. But in any case, we were living with our grandparents. And one day we got a telegram from my father, from my dad in England, that he had passed all his exams. He was now a member of the Royal College of Physicians. He was a cardiologist. So it was a big deal in those days. India had just achieved freedom from British colonialism to be recognized by the Royal College of Physicians was a big deal. So my grandfather took me and my little brother to see a movie. It was called Alibaba and 40 Thieves. I still remember. Then we went to a carnival. Then we went to a fancy restaurant. And then in the middle of the night, he died. My grandfather died, maybe out of excitement and happiness, but the news was too much for him. And so he was taken to cremation. His ashes were brought in a jar about this big. And one of my uncles said, what is a human being? One day he was at a carnival taking the kids to a movie, and now he's a bunch of ashes. And I had my first existential crisis. At the age of six years, I didn't know what happened to my grandfather. My little brother started to lose his skin. His skin started to peel. And my parents, my grandparents took my grandmother, grandfather was gone, and my uncles took him to every physician. Nobody could diagnose what he had. Till some healer in Mumbai said, he's feeling vulnerable, that's why he's shedding his skin. If his parents come back, he'll be cured. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, so as soon as parents came back, my brother was healed. So since the age of six years, I have not taken existence for granted. It's actually very surprising to me that people take existence for granted. I mean, who, who said, you, we deserve to exist. And also we think of existence only in terms of human beings. Existence is more than human beings. Existence is the whole web of creation, is the whole web of life. And that includes, by the way, this is politically incorrect right now, that includes viruses, bacteria, fungi, and every life form which provides genetic information that makes life possible. Right now, what is stressed is the microbiome of existence, which is the genetic information of existence, is threatened. So we humans are in our cages right now, except when the riots happen, and I'll talk about that too. So we are in our cages because the biosphere, which is inside our body, this microbiome, and the biosphere of planet Earth is the same. There's no difference between the ecology of the planet 
and the ecology of your biology. Mutations occur when there is toxicity and stress in the microbiome of existence. So that's the mutation that we're calling COVID-19. We're calling it COVID-19 because it occurred in the year 2019, but Corona has existed since the beginning of life. In fact, it's existed before you and I existed. So please have some respect for Corona. It's existed and it's been part of our ecosystem of genetic information. And the mutation happens only when the system is stressed. And as we go back to our cages, the ecosystem is repairing itself. The air is cleaner, the birds are singing, the fish are returning to their dead lakes. You can see the stars at night. You can see the Himalayas from 400 miles away. And even bees, which are responsible for 90% of our nutrition, are coming back. So existence, which means life, is resetting itself. And all we are concerned is our toys. You know, I can't go shopping. I can't go to this restaurant. I can't travel in a jet plane. Is this human species, which thinks existence is only about one species. Existence is life, and life is repairing itself. Now, coming back to racism, if we don't want to avoid the truth, this is also, in a way, a reminder that we have lost our humanity, okay? That we actually, we have to make a statement about our humanity. That's a shameful thing right now that we even have to make a statement about who we are as human beings. We are not human bodies. We are not human minds. We are not even human races. We are human beings. And our beingness, our humanity, our spirit is entangled. And as long as we think in terms of divisiveness, whether it's racial divide or religious divide or political divide, it's idiotic. It's divisive. It's quarrelsome. And it shouldn't even be part of our conversation. So in the bigger context, I would plead with anyone who has even a bit of empathy for their existence is to ask themselves, why do I take existence for granted? Why am I not grateful? If you just ask this one question, irrespective of everything that's happening in the world, what are you grateful for right now? Your heart would open to a bigger reality. And we would not be having to engage in, in strife. Even moral outrage is rage. And I know this is politically incorrect, but any outrage, even moral outrage, is rage. It doesn't solve any problem. So war on COVID, war on terrorism, war on racism, war on poverty, war on ecology or ecological destruction, war on social justice, war on economic justice. These are oxymorons. You cannot fight a war and win. In the end, you lose. Okay, what we need right now is creative solutions. And creative solutions is what comes when you practice mindfulness. Because mindfulness is not about using the rational mind. Mindfulness is observing the mind, observing yourself, observing your emotions, observing your story and not even judging it. Once you observe your story, your mind, your emotions, your biological reactions to your stories, the sensations, the images, the feelings, the thoughts that you're having, and you let go, change happens. And it does, I know that activism at this moment, not to speak would be wrong, but activism that comes from rage will fizzle out. 
it has fizzled out in the past. With Rodney King, it fizzled out. With the civil rights movement, it's fizzled out. We don't need more angry activism. We need a new story that is authentic, where we take responsibility for our stories, where we are authentic, we have a higher calling, and we are grateful, and we move with empathy, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. So that's the context. Everything that you're uh, that you're saying is is music to my ears, and and I think extremely on point. I beca- uh, became a yoga teacher 16 years ago, and I remember from my experience of having no no experience whatsoever with yoga, with mindfulness, with meditation. I feel like I've always been a pretty good person. Want to treat people well. I'm a pretty namaste person. But when people said to me, "Just clear your mind." Just think of good things. Go to your happy place. I'd be there and I was like, I don't know how to do that. And for those of us who are not brought up this way, and for those people who are listening to this podcast, I'm I get asked all the time and I'm no expert. I can teach some things, but I am no expert in these things. When people will say, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to clear my mind. And there is just that absorbing. But then you have what you're talking about because we're so used to it, which is that just deep desire to create change and like problem solver. I'm a problem solver. Okay, this is the problem. I want to cross it off my list. Racism. Okay, let's cross that off the list. Now let's cross the COVID off the list. And I know that it's ridiculous. But how do we tell people other than observing, other than being, other than being being grateful, which are all very important things. And trust me, I live my life that way and I'm teaching my children to live that way. But for those who are even newer than I am, and I'm still 16 years new into this, where do they begin? When they sit down, what happens? I'll, I'll tell Malika to, because she's the practical one in the family. Um, but all I can say is one concept you should get rid of altogether is that a positive mind is a healthy mind. A positive mind can be a very turbulent mind. Okay, if you're constantly trying to be positive, then you're a very stressed person. Okay, so this whole idea that I have to be happy, I have to be positive, it's got the cause of all the stress and the misconception about mindfulness and meditation and yoga. It's totally misconception of meditation, mindfulness, and yoga. You don't need a positive mind. You need a quiet mind. And ultimately, you need a silent mind. In that silent mind is all the creativity in the world. Creativity does not come from your mind. It comes from your soul. And, you know, the mind can never be peaceful. By definition, the mind is not at peace, period. There's no such thing as peace of mind. As soon as you introduce the mind, you destroy peace. So what I would add to that um, is two things. One is absolutely, it's not, you know, I begin my book, Just Feel, which is for eight-year-olds, but very, I think, helpful for parents as well, Mm -hmm. um, which is that all feelings are normal and natural. So, you know, we have fear, we have worry, we have anxiety. Uh, These days, we have a lot of sadness and loneliness and anger and grief, um, all of which is completely normal and natural and part of being human and experiencing. So, um, I would say even as parents, it's important for us to share with our kids that we feel sad, that we get angry, that we feel frustrated, Um, to also not try to stress to our kids that you always have to be happy. 
we can add things like a gratitude practice, um, you know, but that's in the context of other things that we experience in our life. So I do think one of um, the misconceptions uh, is that we're always trying to be happy and positive and because if we repress anything, if we repress that anger or that sadness or that fear, it will manifest itself in our bodies in other ways. Um, I think the second thing which you brought up, which is something that I hear all the time, um, is people say, oh, you know, I'm new to this or um, I've been, you know, I can't meditate because my mind can't uh, empty itself of thoughts. And I think those are really the misconceptions of mindfulness and meditation practices. So again, breaking it down for eight-year-olds, um, what I tell them is mindfulness is just being aware of your thoughts, your body, and what's happening around you. Meditation is a way to quiet your mind. And sometimes we do that through breath or we do it through a meditation practice. And then we have things like yoga, which is moving our body and feeling more connected to, um, again, our thoughts, our body, and our environment. And so uh, these are ways that um, we can introduce our kids to space, to peace, to contemplation. Um, and it may come in bits and pieces. Some days they may, um, just like us, have like a great experience in that one-minute meditation or one-minute mindful walk or deep breathing that we do. And other days, they may feel frustrated and angry, um, you know, at not kind of being able to settle down. And I think that's the point here is that this isn't a goal-oriented practice. This is about what we experience every day. So there is no check off of the list. Mm -hmm. There is no after 16 years that, you know, I could do this. I mean, I've been meditating for 40 plus years. Um, and uh, there are days where I don't get to my meditation um, because as busy moms, uh, you know, often we don't. Uh, there are days when I have, you know, it's like my solace for five minutes in the day. Um, and there are days where I'm just so frustrated because I sit down and all I can think of is my to-do list. But it doesn't mean that the practice itself um, isn't beneficial. That word that you're using is is the word that that gets us all through, which is it is a practice. It's not a perfection. And that's when I would work with people. When I work with people, I, I try to explain that to them when I, with my children, it's about practice. We're all just practicing all the time, everything. We're never, you know, you never might, because you'll have, like you said, days where you're great at it and days when you're not. What I've found though, is that when both with my own experience and then talking with other people who are who are not used to doing this, did not grow up doing this, and it's just concepts that are completely foreign, is that the more that you can focus, as you said, on the body and on the breath, because the mind is very busy, the mind is in the future, the mind is in the past, and it's constantly yanking the body to the future and to the past, and the, the body's having a physical reaction to all of our thoughts and emotions, and, it's, and, and we're never just letting the body settle and the body be. Yeah. So one, uh, my dad mentioned this. So let's just do a really simple practice right now. So it's around the acronym STOP. So S, stop what you're doing. T, take three deep breaths. So let's do that right now. Take a breath in and out. Another breath in. and out. 
and a third breath in and out. And now just observe, oh, what you're feeling in your body. Maybe start with your feet, moving up through your legs, your stomach, your heart, up through your neck, shoulders, up to the top of your head and the space above your head. And now P, proceed. So stop, take three breaths, observe your body, proceed. Some one minute, maybe, meditation, um, but it helps you slow down, pause, connect with your body, and move forward. I feel like that's something we can all remember and very doable. You know, I, I would apply something similar just in terms of taking that pause to healthful eating and giving yourself a chance to become conscious of the choices that you're making so that they are choices, not eventualities. Um, and I think that pause is really powerful to getting to getting our comfort back. I think that that was something that I'd love for us to dive into a little bit, the, the anxiety people are dealing with right now. Um, Deepak, I love the context that you were able to put this into and the feeling that this is not random, that there is a real cohesion between humans who, yes, we have a tendency to see ourselves at the center of the universe, but between our existence and the existence of everything in this universe and the balance and imbalance that we contribute towards. And all of that starts on a very personal level. And I think that there is you said, you know, it's, it's all a reflection of our own stories. I think that there are a lot of parents out there right now who are really wrestling with how to, when I was thinking about this, I wanted to say control their mind because their mind runs away with them a lot. But Malika, what you were just saying, it makes me feel like maybe it's not controlling your mind. It's letting your mind run and then observing that and then finding a better way to channel it. Like what would, how, how do you quiet the anxiety if it pops up? or observe it appropriately and channel it in a good way? Or what would your advice be to crazed parents who are really struggling? Actually, Malika summarized it very well with this top formula. I would say in one sentence, before you react, press the pause button and observe your reaction to react, period. So that's the highest intelligence is to observe yourself without judging yourself. And even if you can do that for a second, you know, you stop the circuit because normally, Normal human behavior is like a, a biological robot, and it's not said, meant to be condescending, but normal behavior is being um, driven by situation and circumstance into predictable outcomes. So we are basically conditioned minds that are constantly being triggered by people and circumstance to be predictable. And to be predictable, therefore, is not to be creative. I mean, that's basically to be predictable is to be an algorithm. And that's what's happening right now in the world. What is recycled is predictable reactions, predictable panic, predictable stress, predictable. The only thing that's not predictable right now uh, is the stock market because human beings are essentially unpredictable. They are melodramatic and they move from moment to moment as bundles of conditioned reflexes and nerves being triggered, triggered by people and circumstances. So one sentence, press the pause button, observe yourself, and then do whatever feels appropriate. 
don't stress about even doing the appropriate thing. Okay, you should ultimately go with what feels right, but just stop for a second, as Malika said, that was a one minute. You can reduce it to 10 seconds if you're impatient. Press the pause button, observe yourself before you react, and then do what feels natural. And one thing I'd add, um, again, to specifically to parents, um, is we are all overwhelmed and confused and um, anxious because we don't know what the future holds um, in the same way that our kids are. Um, and so the I think, as I said before, I think it's okay to let our kids in an age-appropriate way um, know that we are also confused um, and that we are trying to find solutions, but we will keep them safe. Um, another phrase, um, like my dad said, of pressing the pause button is something that Dr. Dan Siegel, um, I think, coined, um, mm. which is name it to tame it. Um, so, you know, as uh, you start to kind of go down um, that black hole, of anxiety and you know the stress of not knowing what's in the future um just name it like and that by itself um helps us to kind of stop the cycle um of uh having just the reactive fight or flight response um to a more mindful intentional response to any situation um but you may have forgotten something as children when they were very young i used to tell them please pray that today is more unpredictable than yesterday. Do you remember yeah. that? <laughs> yes. Life is essentially unpredictable. And when you surrender to unpredictability, you will be creative. Do you remember? Along with the I do. I do. And I think that's the thing. I, I think, you know, so many of us, um, myself included, um, you know, we went to great schools, we had specific jobs, there were these paths that we followed. And I, even though I grew up um, with all of these techniques, you know, I did that as well. But there comes a time um, when I think all of us realize we can't, really, life is unpredictable. And I think what's happening right now, um, not just with COVID, but now what's happening in society as well, is we don't know. We genuinely don't know what the world's going to be like. And so um, if we can kind of reflect and accept on that, but then also say, okay, you know, I am sad. I'm grieving about it. Um, I'm grieving about some of the things that may not happen, but at the same time, let me come up now with creative solutions mm -hmm. um, and new ways of uh, connecting with people and living and serving. Um, that is honestly our hope for the future. And one of the practices that we use as a family uh, and as part of our meditation practice, not only the family, but our extended family at the Chopra Center is uh, before we go into meditative practice, we ask ourselves in silence, who am I? What do I want? What is my higher calling or purpose? What am I grateful for? So we actually engage in reflection even before we start the practice. So we know exactly what our priorities are. Who am I is a very important question for all of us at this moment. And what do we want? Not only for ourselves, but for, for existence. That's another very important. What is our calling right now? What is our responsibility? And how can we come to that place from a place of gratitude is a very good start for any practice. How do you reconcile praying for unpredictability with the human desire or need for stability? 
So stability only comes when you're grounded in your being. So I'm going to say a couple of things which may sound um, kind of paradoxical. I don't believe in hope, just so you know. Hope is a sign of despair. When you, <laughs> you only have hope when you're despairing. Otherwise, why do you need hope? So to be grounded in yourself and your being is to be independent of hope and despair. To also be independent of predictability and unpredictability is the key source of creativity. So right now, when if we want creative solutions, we know that, first of all, as Malika said, everything that happens from this moment onwards by nature is unpredictable. The only thing that's predictable is what's already happened. And unfortunately, what's already happened gets recycled because we are predictable pe people. Mm -hmm. We are biological robots. So when you pray for unpredictability, you're actually opening the door to your creativity. You're getting independent of hope and despair. Also getting independent of belief. Belief is another cover-up for insecurity. If I told you, do you believe in electricity? You'd say, that's a ridiculous question. I can switch on the light and I know <laughs> that's electricity. Uh, I don't believe in gravity. I experience it every day. So why do you have to believe in God, if God or spirit or soul, if it's really true, then why do I have to believe in it? So, you know, there's a difference between faith and belief. Belief is a cover-up for insecurity. It's a program. It's somebody told you to believe in something or the other. And that's why you're always kind of nervous about beliefs. But faith is trusting your silence. When you trust your silence and you abide in it, then what happens is insight, inspiration, intuition, creativity, a vision, a higher calling. And that's not the rational mind. That's beyond the rational mind. That is faith. Faith in yeah, I'll just add something that, again, I do um, with kids is uh, distinguish between stability and safety. So you use the word stability, um, but I think with kids, we want them to feel safe. So um, an exercise that I've done uh, with kids, especially in this time, uh, is taking three breaths, but you basically stand with your hands by your side, um, or you can do it sitting down, put your feet on the ground, and take a deep breath in and out, and have the kids focus on their feet on the earth or the floor below them, and say, I am safe. Right? We have the earth beneath us, we are safe. Then shift to your heart and take a deep breath in and out and think about one thing that they're grateful for. And then take, put your hands on your side and again, take a deep breath in and out and then feel the space and the air and the expansiveness and the sky and the universe above and beyond and know that they have that place in that space and take that last breath in and out. So, you know, again, I, I always bring it back with the kids to like a practice that connects them with the body, the earth, you know, the larger space. I love that. I'm safe. I have space. And what are you grateful for? Love that. What about what you said before about positivity? Because that's something, I mean, so many people are probably going to listen and be like, what well, I want to be positive because if I'm not positive, then it just feels really bad. 
or if I can't think about a better day and have hope, and I understand the hope versus faith, would it be wrong for me to say, well, I hope that my baby is going to be born healthy? Um, so I would shift from positivity to gratitude first. Um, so really focusing, you know, not on um, kind of manufacturing positivity when frankly, sometimes things aren't great. <laughs> um, so instead, uh, focus on gratitude on what you can be grateful for in this moment. Um, and second, and my dad can talk about more about this, but like shifting from that goal orientation to what you said, um, which is I want my baby to be healthy, which is your intention. Um, and what are the intentions? What are your seeds of desire, which aren't like the material things as much, but really what you want to experience to feel happier, healthier, more connected and a purpose. So what Malika said about intention, we introduced in our practice, we introduced four intentions, joyful, energetic body, loving, compassionate heart, a reflective, alert mind and lightness of being. Just those four. So joyful, energetic body, Having compassionate heart, reflective, alert mind, and lightness of being. In those four intentions, everything else is there. You know, what you're asking about is what is the creative opportunity even in the midst of a crisis? And there is always a creative opportunity, if nothing else, an opportunity to reset your own priorities. If nothing else, there's an opportunity right there. An opportunity to change. To change. Transform. Transform. I like this. I'm going to have to like write down all my new, my for, for my own like conversations. I don't know about you guys, but I'm always having my own conversations in my head of like thinking, talking to myself. I'm going to have to change my, change my verbiage. There's no journey. There's no journey. It's just a change of state all the time. It's a change of state. There's no journey. The point of arrival is always now. So, you know, as the practice is, the joy is in the practice rather than in the point of arrival. Uh, you have a new book coming out, MetaHuman. It's already out. It's, it, are, it already is out. Okay. So, you know, we you talk about uh, using our minds to progress to our physical, to our physical bodies. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about it. Just a little bit. I think right now we want to talk about these big issues, but the book is about the entanglement of sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, and perceptions. They're all entangled. So if I ask you to think of your mother, for example, suddenly you'll see an image, you'll hear a voice, you'll feel a sensation, you might feel an emotion, etc. So every experience is entangled in our biology as sensations, perceptions, images, feelings, thoughts. And what happens is we believe that that's who we are. And that's not who we are. We are actually the awareness in which that is happening all the time. And usually it's happening as a result of recycled collective conditioned mind. So meta human simply means going meta means beyond human in this case, beyond the conditioned, separate, scared, frightened mind, because the mind is by definition always separate. It doesn't think in terms of wholeness. It thinks only in terms of me and mine. So meta-human is going from me and mine to us, to we, to one. We, we love to ask you, uh, our guests, for their favorite things. And sometimes it's a product or a book people are reading. But, you know, right now I wonder if there's a resource you would recommend or a, or a course you love or a cause you, you are thinking about a lot right now or just something that you'd love to share with people that they can learn more about or, or 
have in their lives. Right now, I and our foundation is focused on several things, but one of them is more pertinent. It's a global campaign that mm-hmm. we have. It's called I Am Never Alone. And this campaign addresses mental hygiene, suicide, and depression, mm-hmm. uh, particularly among the youth. The second most common cause of, su- of death among teenagers is suicide right now. And it's rapidly becoming the most common cause. And that's a shame on our culture that our teenagers are committing suicide. So we have created a global campaign, which is both online and offline communities with humanitarians, artists, songwriters, filmmakers, and uh, people in the area of neuroscience and genetics to address this huge uh, issue in our society which relates to everything, by the way, to the riots, to the financial crisis, even to COVID, is mental well-being. So any attention you can give to this effort, I am never alone. And the website is neveralone.love. That's my passion at the moment. Wonderful. I just echo that, actually, because I think it all comes down at the end of the day to not feel alone. and and feel connected uh, both to yourself and to others. So I echo that. Thank you both so much. Thank Thank you. you. This was really great. Thank you. Thanks. This is a fact. That was Deepak and Malika Chopra. And I, I thought that was such a great conversation. First of all, I really am going to take this episode and just sit and meditate with it. And write it down. I'm a I'm a write learner. Like I have to write it out to remember the words. And there are so many great, like the like the STOP acronym and the and the kids practice, putting your feet on the floor and taking those breaths and feeling grateful and feeling your space and feeling safe in that space, security in that space. Um, just so many cool things that I want to use with my kids. Um, and certainly Deepak's words about about the human race and about being human beings, not human bodies, not human minds, not human anything else, human beings and thinking about our place in the world was so eye-opening. So lots, definitely worth a, worth a listen and a re-listen on this episode. This has been something, I mean, these, these, these concepts are things that I've been around for uh, the past 16 years, but still it's something that I'm, I'm learning. And every single time I get an opportunity to, to speak with somebody who is well-versed, I mean, I've, I've never had an opportunity to talk with, um, with Deepak before. So that was really an amazing treat. But it really goes down to back to this idea that inspired me so much to get into yoga and to get into meditation and um, living in a more mindful way than I was in the past is this idea of getting inside of our body and listening to our body. Our mind is just whipping us around and telling us what we should feel, should think, do this, do that. And for the average person, we never just sit with ourselves and Mm. breathe and Mm. notice how we feel. And so many people have come to me and said that that seems like it's just a waste. Like, I don't have time to do that. Hmm. And you don't have time to do it until you get sick or until you're following a path that is not right for you because you're not listening to your inner drum and, and your soul and, and, and where you want to go in the world. And the more that you practice that, the, the benefit of sitting down and taking those moments and start small, start exactly as Malika was saying. Um, you know, start with 10 seconds or a minute or whatever it is that you can manage 
if you take those moments to calm the mind, meaning bring it to the sensations of the body, you have this ability as you practice to it, that eventually it becomes second nature. And then when you're in a difficult situation, you know when you need to stop right. and take a deep breath. Right. Because it's just you and that's your practice. That's what you do. You can rewire yourself to be less reactive and to get into a place where you just kind of know. It's almost like the matrix, um, you know, in terms of like everything slows down. And you can imagine like that back bend and everything is just like slower, mm. slower, slower. And that kind of becomes life where you're capable of making better decisions in the moment as it's happening. And when you're not capable of that, you realize that you're not capable of that and you stop, as she said, you take a minute and hopefully the answer will come. And now it's time for our favorite things, you guys. Now it's time for our favorite things. Yes! Mine this week is going to be a new snack bar for kids that I just discovered. It's called Dino Bars. Full disclosure, you guys know um, very generously, Alari and I both receive lots of things gifted to us and lots of things people tell us about and want to send us. And what, And I, for the most part, like if I'm not interested genuinely, I just say no because I don't want to I don't want to waste anyone's time or money. I know a lot of these are small businesses and everything counts. If I'm genuinely interested, I actually usually will buy the product so that I can like get to explore it. So the the woman who founded this company um, reached out to me and I took a peek at the website and ordered a couple of the bars. My kids are so picky. They're not into snack bars at all. So I just wanted to like check them out because they sounded good. They're organic fruit bars wrapped in edible paper for kids, which is what got what? me. I was like, oh, it blew my, I was like, edible paper uh, My mind is kids. blown. I need to look at this. I need a visual blown. while you're talking about this. And they're really cute. They have these like little dino packages and everything. So I ordered these bars. I ordered like three of each flavor, just some sample bar pack. Philomena hates fruit, will not eat any fruit besides like a slice of apple if I smother it in peanut butter with tons of chocolate on top. She devours these things. John loves them. And it's really cool. So because of that, um, it's potato starch paper that they put over the bar. Their fingers don't get sticky. They don't like get all over your hands. They they taste delicious. Like I can't describe. It's like fruit roll up meets like a chewy bar. It's like so, so, so delicious. So anyway, the kids have been going bananas literally for these delicious bars. And I thought you guys would like to know about them. Um, my favorite thing today is a cream. So it's called Jack and Jill and it's from Australia. And it's, um, they have a, um, to my knowledge, they might have more than this, but this is what we have. We, there's a bath time moisturizer. And then I think that they also have a wash as well. This one that's called natural sweetness smells amazing. Carmen tells me it smells like tulips. I don't know if that's oh, what it is, how but, precise. It's, but I know I'm like, that sounds really good. And it's super cute. It has a koala, like who doesn't like koalas? And it has like really nice ingredients. But anyway, those, are, that's my favorite thing. I think it smells really, really good. Love. Um, I'm excited to check that out. All right, you guys, that is it for this episode. Please remember to share with your friends, leave us a five-star review if you like the episode, um, and a rating. It is so helpful. Big, 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 big time helpful. So um, would really appreciate if you guys would take the time to do that. And send your questions to mombrainpod at gmail.com. We're on all social outlets as MomBrain, so look us up. All right, you guys, talk to you next week. Big kiss. Bye. This is MomBrain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.